Eleanor without a bar. Welcome to 3 PNR. I'm your host, Adamar, and joining me again is Steve Murr, parapsychologist. Steve, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Adam. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Florida, 90 degree weather, day and night. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do miss the sun. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell. So we were talking before a podcast. Um, the congressional hearing. I, did you get to watch that? Yeah, I watched it all. What was? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, you know, as quite a few people have asked me that recently, and um, like many other researchers, I was glued to it to find out, you know, what's what, what's actually going to be happening. Is there anything going to be revealing? And to be honest with you, I was very saddened at it all. To be honest, it yeah. was very weird. I mean, the um, the two video images that they showed was pitiful. I mean, the probably the worst two they could probably find. Um, easy to rationalise a lot of those type of things. Um, I've got better footage myself they could have used. Um, so that wasn't very you know, spectacular. And then when they started asking questions, you know, and there was a reference to UFOs shutting down ICBMs, it was like they didn't know what we were talking about. It's like, well, we're not too sure about that. We don't, we don't not, we really don't know much about it. We've not got any paperwork on it. And I thought to myself, hang on a second. These are the guys, you know, are supposed to be you know, looking into the phenomena, and they don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> any, anybody in the subject knows about that. Um, and it surprised me. I mean, it just, you know, it just you know, it deflated. The balloon deflated very quickly for me. Um, though I do know that there are further hearings going to be taking place. I just hope they get better. Because if it's going to be this, then we, we're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to get anywhere. It's just a recycle uh from where we've where we've been before it's just you know over and over and we're not pushing through where we need to push through uh and that's that's sad that's sad because i mean i was expecting that you know we might get some proper answers from these hearings and uh so far nothing spectacular really indeed and you know the worst part of that is it seemed like it was rehearsed like they were speaking in a narrative mm. And it, yeah, I know that there was a lot of paperwork and they were referring to stuff like that. And it might have been, I mean, some actual areas of that. But for me, there was nothing fundamental that came out of that, you know, which uh, leads me to think, okay, that was, it was worth doing. I mean, um, back to square one, I mean, he even started rationalizing. You know, I mean, why show a picture, a video footage of a UFO and then turn around and say, um, it's the infrared caught in the lens? Um, and it's a lie, and it causes that triangular effect. Well, why show it then? We're studying here the UAP phenomena, not rationalize. I mean, if you want to rationalize things, we've got thousands of things we can rationalize. You know, let's let's really bring something to the table where we are scratching our heads and we don't know what it is. But it was just, you know, it seemed to be orchestrated to somewhat a little bit. Um, I was a bit disappointed. I'm hoping that further hearings will get a bit better than that. You know, but um, I'm not holding my breath, Adam. You know, it's just. I've heard it and seen this before time and time again. And uh, though that they have tried to reboot the phenomenon, you can call it UAP now, and ignore the last 70 years, I don't know how they can do that, to be honest with you. But um, I just can't see how we're going to gain anything from it, to be honest, at this moment in time. Yeah, I agree. And the, the, the whole swapping to UAP is their way of separating themselves from a private, a, you know, a stigma. Like, I guess, in other words, they don't want to admit 
the the last seventy years, like you said, they just they want to put that behind them and move forward, which is, you know, and then like you said, these guys who are in the government who are overseeing this and they're not hearing about the IBMs. I mean, come on now, there's well, I, know. I know kids that know about that. <laughs> so exactly, I mean, there's two sides to it. I mean, it's you know, I mean, if we say, for instance, they want to reboot this one, I want to ignore this last seventy years. Uh, well, there's some aspects of the last 70 years. Yeah, we can ignore, you know, the circus, should we say, you know, the the fantasy stuff, you know, the crazy stories. You know, we can we can eliminate that. But let we, at the same time, we cannot eliminate the fact that there are very, very important, significant incidents. Uh, and these are duly noted by multiple witnesses from the Air Force, from the Army, from the Navy. And uh, they, they've been very well documented, very well investigated. And, uh, and that, that's really the, the key of, the, of all this information lies there in their research files. And to say that, you know, well, you know, we need more time to research this phenomenon, just beggars belief. I mean, how long do you need? Yeah, honestly. And then what, what makes it worse? One guy, one guy, uh, Mr. What was he, Mr. Gallagher? asked questions that were pretty specific like the the IBM for instance and they it they very nonchalantly shut him down and i was under the impression that not they were acknowledging this phenomena at the same time they were kind of debunking it yeah very it can't, i mean there were countless incidents not real just talking Malmstrom, you know air force, air force base but talking many many incidents like this that have happened and um, they can't be ignored, and they were very well documented. The investigations were carried out by the Air Force and Navy at the time, and his documentation to show that. So I just can't understand when you turn around and say, "Well, we need more time, and we need more money, and we need to, you know, to look at this phenomenon." Well, you know, it's presented itself for seventy years, if not longer. You've got plenty of documentation there, investigation files. Um, you know, people have put the time and work in, and we're talking to generals. I mean, generals have been involved and documented things. I mean, we can we know this because we can file for the Freedom of Information Act and get those official documents. Right. The he- CIA, heavily CIA, redacted. <laughs> all of them. All the main departments, all the main establishments, the FBI, the CIA, the National Security Agency, Department of Defense, you know, they've all, all been involved in this study. And to turn around and ignore that, He's just, he's unbelievable. I just, it's like, well, did he really want to give us the answer? I mean, does in fact the secrecy outweigh the disclosure? And I think in this case, it does. I think they still want to keep the secrecy. And uh, because if he wanted to head into this, I'd just open up a public and scientific inquiry, bring all the heads together, bring all the documentation of importance together, see where we are now and find out new areas of research. That's not the case. It seems to backpedal somewhat. Let's start it again under a new heading. Ignore the last 70 years and we'll start from scratch. People get fed up eventually. You know, it's just not going to get anywhere. Maybe that's part of their plan is to, to like reduce the interest in it. It could be. I mean, I mean there are people that, uh, that know that there's, you know, that this phenomenon is absolutely real. Um, and these are high ranking officers astronauts, all sorts of different people from different backgrounds. And, uh, and and that's been very well documented. You can't ignore it. It's got their own signatures on it, you know. So I don't see how that can happen. I mean, there was even references to the Wilson document. The Wilson document, I mean, 
I mean, Admiral Wilson's not going to come forward now and say, look, you know, this is what I, I heard and I was told. He's just not going to, he's just not going to bother. But there's numerous people involved in that, that disclosure of that information. And that's one of the most recent, you know, big incidents that have taken place, which you can't ignore. And it was not even a reference to that. It wasn't even brought up, to be honest. And I was quite surprised. Yeah, I mean, not only that, for... I said this before. I say it again. I keep saying it. They kept using the words national security threat. And when you use that verbiage and I see an empty Congress house, uh, empty room, where's the presence of, of the air force, right? Why were FBI not involved with this? This congressional hearing was a formality. There was not a lot of presence there for people that would, should have concern for the national security threat. Where was the, where are the pilots? These are the people who observed it up close and personal, trained professionals, nonetheless. Why were they not present for this? Exactly. I think it's really more for us, you know. Uh, let's give them what we want. You know, well, we, uh, we, they gave us what we want. We gave some time at Congress, and but we didn't really get anything rewarding, to be honest. You know, we know more ourselves as researchers than what they actually disclosed anything there. Uh, and you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, there was no pilots, there was no key witnesses that came forward from departments to say, hey, you know, this is what I saw. I mean, apparently, you know, American pilots now can report them right. without yeah. without worry. Well, there wasn't any in there, unfortunately. Seems to go through c- certain channels. The latest information is Jeremy Corbell, who's been putting the information out on Twitter, saying that he's now aware that uh, recent video footage and information pertaining to them shooting at these objects, opening fire on these objects. Now, the the question remains to me is that are we actually seeing some type of um, warring action here or are we seeing some type of test procedures going on? We don't know. I just just really don't know, to be honest with you. Um, But it's very shady. You know, the, the information that's coming out is very selective and uh, and it's kept tight to the chests of those you know, that are getting this information and releasing, releasing it. To me, you know, I, I would dem- be demanding answers. You know, look, I don't want to hear the same old, same old. You know, we can introduce this and we can introduce that and we might be able to get some answers. First off, I mean, can we prove beyond a shadow of doubt that the, the, that the Pentagon, when they release this information, are in fact releasing information pertaining to the real phenomena. Right. You know, I mean, that's right. that's the first thing. Before anything else, are we truly dealing with a, with a phenomena here? Or are we truly dealing with something which is some type of exotic drones? Now, I know I was, I was taught before about, you know, the capabilities of things that we might have. And, you know, there's been this big argument that the, the Tic Tac traveled incredible speeds. It dropped from... 80,000 feet down to zero in so many seconds, you know, and it's an incredible feat, and we don't have anything that can travel that fast. Well, I filed for the information from the American Air Force in regard to the rocket tests of these experimental rockets that David Adair, rocket genius, was uh, working with back in 1963. And that rocket, now it's a very interesting document that I got. That document says... Now, under this new type of engine, it was a magnetic uh, containment fusion engine. Literally, it's the power of the sun is what he was trying to contain in, in, in this engine. And it was an experimental. And, of course, he did a, a, a live launch in front of generals and 
other official Air Force people. And uh, they told him the coordinates where they wanted it to come down, this rocket. And it was one of the late beds, not too far from Area 51. Surprise, surprise. And um, it, it, it literally, it just, just disappeared. It was a flash of light and boom, it, it was gone. Now, the generals thought it exploded. It actually blew up on, on the launch pad. Um, and then a phone call comes through, literally seconds later, to say it had reached its destination. I mean, this thing travelled at 8,450 miles per hour. And that's back in 1963. In fact, there was a double explosion that caught them off guard because the first explosion was the launch, thinking that the whole thing had blown up. And the second explosion, which never normally occurs, is because the rocket travelled so fast that they couldn't see it, that it left a vacuum between Earth and space and that quickly collapsed from the top coming down and caused a second blast. Now, that second blast was so significant, it literally blew cows over in the field and wow. parts of trucks flew off and bits of buildings flew off. <laughs> they just <laughs> did not expect that. Um, but it reached its destination and within seconds. Now, it's an incredible speed. And that's back in 1963. I mean, what sort of stuff do we have, really, that can travel at immense speeds and don't have to have a pilot inside them so they can withstand sharp manoeuvres backwards and forwards. All we've got to do is gain the technology to travel, have this traverse without any physical effects on the craft. And I'm sure there's numerous different things in the pipeline over the years that they've worked on. I couldn't completely, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put money on it, Adam. I would, that's, that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't put money on it and say that is the true UFO phenomenon. Um, at this stage, you know, right. because everything points to me that there is the possibility some type of uh, exercise of, with very special, secretive, exotic drones. I mean, I've heard of drone wars going on now since 2015 between different countries. China's also got them. Russia's also got them. You know, and one recent bit of information that was released over um, international news was that one particular naval ship was literally swarmed with 60, 60 70 of these drones. They, they, they said drones. They actually listed drones. But and then they tried to pack it off as, well, okay, well, somebody from the shoreline must have had a bit of a joke. Well, I mean, so I talked to some of the, the best drone people in the world, and they said, look, we'll tell you now, there is no drone you can buy in the public field that could maintain that flight for that duration, for that length of time, and, and do those manoeuvres, and be that many, and a coordinated, literally, and a coordinated attack on a, on a naval vessel. It just, it's just, it's just preposterous. It's a silly thing to have said, Agreed. to say that maybe the general public are responsible for it. I mean, no, the general public aren't responsible for it. There's certainly drones, all right, but are we dealing with an exercise? You know, who, who knows? The bottom line is, is that you're right by saying there's always this threat, the threat of, oh, well, we're going to collide with them. The threat is that they, they, they could cause problems in our airspace. I mean, you know what? They never really have done, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's true. Going on for a long, long time. Uh, but the threat generates interest. And when there's interest on the threat there, it creates money and lots of money. And yeah. we couldn't be talking hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars ploughed into 
a defence programme. Yeah. When, yeah. in fact, that defence programme could be an orchestrated one and they need the defence money to do something else, say, for instance, weaponized space or whatever. You know, who, who really knows? But I'm not seeing the true phenomenon. When I look at the true phenomenon and I listen to people's accounts and experience this stuff, it seems that these things have an observer connection, with a conscious connection. They seem to be able to sometimes change their shape. Um, they sometimes seem to manifest and demanifest, materialize, dematerialize, you know, and they usually st- many strange colors to them um, and profound profound phenomena associated with them, like infrasonic sound and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing with this Pentagon stuff, very kind of structured crafts, uh, which are manoeuvring at high capabilities. And it doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, it's a phenomena. I mean, we could be looking at some of our own stuff. It takes me back to the days when stealth, like I said, the stealth fighter was pitted against star fighters. Now the star fighter was one of the greatest aircraft ever manufactured for the Air Force. And, um, they, it, and it was flying around back in 1973. The stealth fighter was flying around on tests. We didn't see it till 1991 during the Gulf War. Right. But it was right. flying around on tests in 1973 and was painted against these starfighter pilots. Now, they were told that you're going to just send them to a destination as an unusual radar bleep. And they'd get there, and an engagement would happen, and they'd just be left dead in the sky against the, you know, against the cell fighter. And of course, they reported, "Well, we don't know what it is. We can't recognise what it is. Um, it outmanoeuvres us. It's a waste of time even trying to keep up with this thing. It's obviously something very, very profound." Well, you know, we could be seeing that same procedure even now, even today, with our normal naval aircraft pilots competed against some of the greatest drone technology available. It's very, very feasible. I'm waiting to find enough evidence to send me in that other direction to say, yes, this is the phenomena, you know, is capable. Now, they talk about traversity that has three methods of traversing. In other words, this craft is capable of reaching altitudes which are bordering space. It's also capable of flying through our atmosphere, and it's also possibly capable of coming out of the water. This is this, you know, there's this method of what you might refer to as transmedium travel. But the true phenomena, the true phenomena is a quad medium travel because the true phenomena, UFO phenomena, has the capabilities of entering into physiological constructs and enters into mountains, enters into volcanoes. We've seen them going into hills, into the ground. You know, we're not we're not seeing that with this phenomena. We're seeing it the three main traversities, you know, which could be down to te- just general technology. But the real phenomena is so profound that we can't even get our heads around the physics of how they somehow are not affected by the physicality of our reality around them and can simply just go into a mountain or just, you know, just disappear into it or into the ground. There's many, many cases of that. It's been videoed, it's been photographed, it's been documented all over the world. So there's something significantly different between what I might believe is the real UFO phenomena and something which is flying around the skies, around these na- naval test areas, um, and uh, and peating themselves against uh, you know some of the best pilots there in the Navy's got. Yeah, and it makes sense because where David Fravor was, they're they're essentially doing uh, war games, right? They're out there, you know. There's the blue team, red team. We're gonna we're gonna put you, you know, you guys are gonna engage each other, and yeah. it wouldn't. And so they're not armed. So there was really no, there would be no fear of us taking friendly fire on something that's being tested. It does make sense. 
And you and well, I, yeah. you and I yeah. talked about this a while ago too. Like the idea of these these craft traveling never has a pilot describe these things as breaking the sound barrier. You don't see any sonic booms. They just no. they just travel from one point to the next instantly. Which where you and I discussed the idea of them using utilizing frequencies and vibrations, which would exactly. and it yeah. that could alter a physical state and alter the the what we know as physics surrounding them in the air, which. Um, disrupting the air around it with uh, with vibrations and frequencies could very well cause color, right? You could, and especially in the nighttime. Oh, absolutely, yes, yes. I mean, you, you hit nail on the head. Our our technology when we we start to just have a look through the internet now and start to look at what really is out there. Do we know? We have invisibility. We have anti gravity. We have the non-detection of radar, in other words, complete radar invisibility. We have all these wonderful things which we know do work. There's different scientific departments that have worked on these things and say, every now and again we get these little bits of information saying, yes, it's been achieved, yes, it's been achieved. But that's what we do know because we can guarantee that all these would have been eventually first introduced into the military complex. And that could have been 50 years ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and how? who's to know now, you know, the year 2021? Uh, sorry, 2022. <laughs> I, I did that the um, other day. Don't feel bad. <laughs> I mean, it's just a crazy thing. And there are people out there that think, no, no, we ain't got that technology. Well, how do you know that? How, how do we ever, ever really know? Um, because I'm sure they've got some wonderful toys and wonderful experiments that they've done. All they've got to do is somehow create some type of bubble around the object through frequencies or whatever, as long, you know, so that it is not it is not adversely affected by the physical reality around us as we are normally, feeling pressure, feeling the gravity, feeling distortion, you know, g forces, all those sort of things. You know, it seems like they might have been able to manufacture a drone. I don't know if it would be, I don't think a pilot would probably survive them, but, you know, because we're very delicate. Well, well, well consider that's... this, Steve. Consider this. Uh, there's this thing called collective consciousness, and this has been exampled a lot on Earth amongst humans. Now, mm. the same brilliant minds who make these remarkable movies may parallel the minds of brilliant scientists. And there's a movie from the 80s called Explorers. And they yes. built a field using computer code. Yeah. And, and so yeah. if with that, if a brilliant mind could write a movie like that, you have to believe that science either paralleled that or like collective conscious and or saw that yeah. and said, well, how do we make that real? Because, mm. I mean, exactly. look at all the technology from Star Trek that almost replicates it. If you look at Star Trek in the fit, uh, when it first came out and then look at the 90s with the flip phones and – there's so many things that that it's it's. I never watched Star Trek, and then when I fight, when someone brought that to my attention, I did. I was like, "Holy shit, that looks oh, a yeah. lot like the stuff we have." That's practical. It's crazy. Oh yeah, I, mean, I, I remember hearing twenty years ago. Well, it's got to be twenty years ago. There was a Chinese scientific team had uh, had um, taken literally phased an apple and taken one atom from the apple and had it reappear somewhere else. It's that it's under the same principles of the right. beam technology that we might see in Star Trek. They started off very, very small. Let's just see if we can take one atom from the apple and have it transposed and move over to here. And it was successful. 
they apparently did it. And I thought to myself, well, that's great. What's go- I'm, I'd be interested to follow this now, of how far they're going to get. The whole thing went black, just disappeared. And this keeps happening. I keep seeing bits and bobs turn up on the internet over the years. And I think that's revolutionary. You know, yeah, now that's yeah. going to be interesting. Let's follow this. Let's find. And then all of a sudden it goes black. Somebody comes along, pays them off, buys it or whatever yeah. they do. And it's gone. It's gone from the public eyes and we don't see it return. Well, we see that all the time. You can see an example of that from the 70s. There was a guy who invented cars that ran on water. And um, I forget the, I remember watching this a long time ago, a company bought the, uh, the entire idea from him, right? The, the patent and shelved it because that would ruin the fuel company. Right. (laughs) That's, and that's the truth. It's true. I mean, it was rumors that there was a guy who invented a special type of cream to reduce the hair growth on the human face and Gillette paid four and a half million for, I mean, talking years ago, paid four and a half million for it to bury it in a drawer somewhere i mean steve if you tomorrow if steve murr tomorrow said you know what man i just discovered a cure to the common cold tylenol would have you killed <laughs> like That's, well you know the pharmaceutical companies make uh, make the biggest biggest money you know i think yeah. it was only it was only the other day it was said that uh um something like over eight billion that uh, pfizer's made so far eight billion that's, that's more than roughly how many people are on this planet Eight billion so far. That's insane. I mean, that, they're, they're turning a profit from a from a disaster. That's insane. <laughs> the pharmaceutical companies uh, are probably one of the most dangerous of all. Forget your army and forget your navy. I mean, pharmaceutical companies have a lot of power. Yeah, you know, and have a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, and the thing is, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, there are lots of inventions that do happen that go quiet, or the paintings are just stolen or taken or whatever, and uh, and that does happen. But we do sometimes find paintings and we look and we go, well, hang on a second, that looks like this technology that we might have now. And it could be, you know, we could be looking at sometimes filed paintings, which is actually exotic craft that might be flying the skies now. I mean, I, I I don't figure out for one second that, you know, that they haven't got these wonderful toys. And I've said before, you know, even if a craft crashed down in 1947, that's not the debate over Roswell or not. But if it did, we're the best minds in the world, and money is no object. Well, yeah. Surely, manufacture that. It takes two and a half years to build an aircraft carrier. You see how big them things are. Right. Complete two and a half year build. Now, you think to yourself, well, how long has it been since Rob Wells? 75 years this year? It's 75 years this year, and they can't, they can't replicate something. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I've that's not, yeah, that's, that's fiction. We def, if we saw, listen, this is what humans do. Once upon a time, we looked at birds. We're like, I want to fly too. And so some guys sat around and they got different materials. Experiment. A lot of people die trying to fly. The Wright brothers just happened to figure out the right recipe. But the, at the end of the day, we replicated something we saw. And so for years, we're seeing these objects and they're doing that. Great minds have to sit around and say, well, how are they doing that? What material do we need? What's the propulsion? And here's the other big kicker. This planet we live on is a giant chessboard. So, mm-hmm. of course, we're going to compartmentalize. And of course, we're going to keep secrets because we don't need our enemies finding out this. Because it's like uh, if you if you introduce your, like, here's an example. Like you were saying earlier about the stealth program. Uh, in the late 80s, the F-22 Raptor was already beginning its, its war with another company to become the next, the, the fifth gen jet. That was in the <laughs> late 80s. Imagine what's what's in the black 
works right now. Well, I, I don't think we can, to be honest. I mean, I think we can say, okay, they've got some wonderful toys, but some of them might be so beyond understanding, right. especially now with the introduction to the experiments of metamaterials, which yeah. we are yeah. building, we are making. You know, they do it here in Oxford University in the UK. They are messing about with metamaterials. Now, this is it's a cocktail. It's like going into a bar and saying, you know what, I'll, I'll have this, 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 and this, Put it all together, and I'll see if it's any if it's any good. It's a cocktail. That's what metamaterials are. I mean, right, scientists right. never thought to put those things together because they never thought, well, why would we? But then all of a sudden they do, and then they start flashing light at it, terahertz frequency light, and they realise it does some very very unusual things. We've discovered new areas of of research here in regarding putting materials together and not realising that when we do make that cocktail and we apply light to it, it can do some very, very strange and wonderful things. Now, that's what we know currently now. But, I mean, I'm sure, you know, that was probably figured out years ago, to be honest with you, by the best brains in the world and probably have used it in application. I mean, he made a whole car. I think it was Lamborghini made a whole car of nanotechnology skin. And that means that if you scratched it, dinted it, put a little hole in it, it would repair itself. They actually made one vehicle. They had enough money to make one vehicle of nanoskin technology. I'm sure they're applying that to aircraft where they'll fix themselves if there's a gunshot gone through it or whatever. Oh, yeah. The technology that we have now, and plus also complete visibility, invisibility. In other words, you, it's not radar invisible. It's visually invisible because of the way this material acts. It bends the light so that you can't see the item. There's documentation around and experimental stuff is around. It's been out for quite a number of years, about maybe five, six, seven years now, I'm aware of. But um, that's now. I mean, how long has that been looked at? I mean, it's, you know, if you think about it, too... Uh... And someone brought this to my attention years ago. So I was like, "Why? How are, how are we still going to war on the ground with all our technology? And it turns out, for whatever reason, and I think the UK and America are the only two countries that really play by these rules, is where you have to have fair engagement with the enemy. Isn't that, mm. cra- isn't that crazy to say? <laughs> like, you know? Well, it does, it does surprise me. I think, I think the future in future times, you know, men won't, we just won't need to put boots on the ground. You know, no. I think that, and if it goes back to the, you know, the Second World War and air supremacy, the Germans are great manufacturers. You know, I ha- you can't take it away from them. Right. They're amazing manufacturing machinery. And uh, they were machinery giants. And the worry of it was that they may be, be having the capabilities of manu- manufacturing craft, which are supreme in the sky. Now, if you've got supremacy in the sky, it's game over. Yeah. It's completely yeah. game over. And that's the biggest worry. And I think that was a, one of the biggest threats during the Second World War is about the German technology and the scientists behind that technology. And, of course, you know, we uh, there's lots of things suggesting that we came back with lots of different bits of materials and, and plans and the scientists. I mean, in fact, we employed those scientists in the NASA space program. They got us to the moon. In fact, the moon rocket, you know, the... <laughs> You know, the Saturn V was a glorious V2 rocket yep. without the rings. I mean, it, it, the, that V2 rocket was flying over from Germany and bombing the hell out of, um, of British people. And, you know, and all they did is made it 10 times bigger, took the wings off, had an extra couple of engines, and where you go. You know, it's the same technology that they used then. Uh, but the thing is, you know, even when Von Braun on his deathbed, 
you know, apparently stated that uh, the next war wouldn't be between, the next world war wouldn't really just be between two countries. There'd be a third element involved. And I'm curious as to what he actually meant with that, the third element involved. But the problem is, is that, you know, these things lie in secrecy for years and years and years. And I'm not really, you know, I look at all this and I think we've got a lot of wonderful toys out there. We've now become, come to the stage that ufologists cannot accept a video, cannot accept a photo anymore as proof of evidence, you know, because secondly, anything can be manipulated now. I mean, all you've got to do is watch the movies. You know, how real does that look? Um, and, uh, and you know, you've got kids with, with specialised software can knock it up in 10 minutes and fool some of the greatest uh, photo and video analysts in the world. You know, I mean, the, that's one problem. The second problem is the fact is, is that how do we know if it's the true phenomena or it's ours? It's, it, we've come to an impossible task now where, where we can deliver a, an easy conclusion. If we went back 50 years, 70 years, we might be able to say, OK, yeah, we, we, we may not have had that technology then, but now... Now is a real problem, you know. We, we readily identifying something in the sky is become extremely, extremely difficult. And we also know that the real phenomenon is also hyper-evasive. I've got case files when uh, a large cylindrical object, which is a couple of hundred feet long, apparently, you know, uh, was seen and uh, identified as something unusual. And then two appendages came out from its side which looked a little bit like wings from a distance, and it started pinging a 727, a Boeing 727 uh, registration. It was pushing out a ping. It was pretending to be a civilian aircraft, visually and identifiably. I mean, it's just... That's, inc- that's, that's remarkable. Yeah, because you're basically that's 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 the uh, the sheep the wolf in sheep's clothing. Oh God, yeah. Oh, this is how accepted this phenomenon can be. You know, it's, sometimes we've had reports of aircraft seen in the sky, but going backwards, filmed going backwards, and I say, okay, is it just manufacturers? But no, when, when independent witnesses come forward and say, well, I saw it as well, you have to say, okay, well, that's interesting. You know? I read something about that where someone in in Peru saw what they thought was a jetliner flying sideways. And then mm. my initial thought was, is it a potential UFO altering the way we perceive it? Just not realizing it was, you know, the image portrayed was going the wrong way. You, <laughs> well, know? you know what? They're not perfect. Did you well, yeah, things? I mean, they're biological and, and they're they're an intelligence. So everything's going to make a mistake. I mean, if, if you... <laughs> If, yeah. An example that would be if, if you know, if you're go, if subscribing to God or the Almighty, how are their politics? That's clearly a mistake. <laughs> Mosquitoes are clearly a mistake. You know what I mean? So mistakes are made. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, we, we know that if we go back to the days of Bud Hopkins and his abduction research, one of those main cases, uh, which ended up into the Intruders uh, movie that they did, was pertaining to a woman who witnessed an object that came down. Now, first off, the object was so small, it didn't look like it could house all the beings. And secondly, there was something not quite right with this object. It didn't look as if it was manufactured in a way of technology. You know, it had portholes and rivets around its windows and, you know, stumpy little legs. And, and it just, everything she said about it, everything she wrote about it and drawn about it, just shows that, well, if this is the phenomenon, is it, you know, it makes mistakes. 
You know, right. it's it's trying to perceive it to be something when it might be something else, but that, it gets it wrong. You know, it gets it wrong sometimes. Well, yeah, I mean, keep in mind too, an advanced technology might be printing some of these craft. Right? They're not. They're not actually. There's no warehouse or manufacturer. They're printing them. No, no. I mean, we do know from the metamaterial, uh, the metamaterial analysis is that these are eighth of a hair micron. Um, printing abilities and it's like it's like the craft it's like the metal is 3d printed but it's 3d printed with various different layers right of materials now bismuth being one of them you know uh, magnesium silver magnesium uh, and numerous other ones but when applied together they produce some very unusual effects and one of them is anti-gravity one of them is is complete anti-gravity bismuth is great for shielding Right. I mean, electromagnetic will not pass bismuth. So that basically means that you could have a huge induction engine there generating huge, huge amounts of electromagnetic energy, but it won't get passed to the outer layer or vice versa. The outer layer doesn't affect the inner because huh. it won't get past the layers of bismuth, which are purposely layered within the metamaterials that surround the craft. It's very, very cleverly done. You know, and uh, and we, and you know what, they're working on it. I know they're working on it, um, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they've already got aircraft manufactured from some of these metal materials. Especially with people like Elon Musk out there. This guy's talking about, I mean, the, the materials, the ideas he has, are it's a leapfrog from where NASA was, completely leapfrog. Oh yeah, yeah. It, I mean, he's he's on the ball regarding specialized research, absolutely, and he's developing it. And in, and introducing it into you know into his work and that's that's a great way ahead because I think on the principles of you know how how are we supposed to get man to Mars um, in a, on an official way um, isn't going to be easy because it's the psychological impact of it. Now what is you can fly anything to Mars, but the length of times to get there. Right. And having three men cooked up in a can for that duration of time, it's the psychological impact. It's right. the it's the problem here, as opposed to the technological, you know. And uh, and that's what they've got to get around. They've got to get around how to how to do this in, in a psychological sense. How did he manage it? You know, right? It's it's a problem. It's a problem. I think the two obstacles that we have currently um, preventing us from having. Um, like uh, not just a disclosure because I know they're spoon feeding. They're just they're doing it at such a slow, pathetic rate. It's it's almost insulting, right? But I think the two big obstacles are government and religion. And government, not I think the government, the the obstacle there is not just that they don't want to admit that there's something greater than what we have flying around, but it's also a great smokescreen for them to work on projects and have a uh, a scapegoat. Oh, maybe it's a UFO or a UAP or old examples. It's a good smokescreen for them too. When you look yeah. at the Vatican and the materials that built that place and how much, if you go to any Catholic church in America or, or even the UK, mm. these are beautiful freaking places, man. They're marble, oh, yeah. fine wood. The cloaks are made of silk. They're wearing gold. I, I can't make this up. I saw pictures of cardinals and bishops and, and they're wearing these gold chains that are like something out of a rap video, right? It's, and so when you see that kind of money, and for uh, uh, there to be another life form to come to Earth and, and announce itself, that poses a major issue for the control on both government and, and religion. Well, it does. I mean, the big question is who speaks for planet Earth? If, if Because we are very, very divided. I mean, we still are even now, as we were many, many years back. 
Um, and who speaks for, for planet Earth? Well, I don't really know, to be honest with you. you it's know, that's, it's that's tough. I mean, you know, the government, they're, they're de facto reasoning for not looking into, uh, they're saying things that we don't look into UFOs and UAP, the resources and the funds. Listen, if you fund MUFON, maybe 20% of what it is you're putting into what your, your current program, you're going to get results. MUFON's packed full of people who just want to learn more and find more. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you just fund yeah. them slightly from the governments and forget it. They'll, they'll discover, and then you could, then they could speak in meetings. But unfortunately, that's them. I don't. know. It doesn't make sense to me because MUFON is just another acronym. They could just very well fund them, right? There's there should oh, be no uh, stigma to that. Uh, Robert Bigelow did that for a couple of years with MUFON. He, he gave him a significant amount of money to have access to all the records and documentation and stuff. And uh, that was part of his study program when he was bringing NIDS in to to look at Skinwalker Ranch. You know, so I mean, MUFON. You know, did well from the from the the financially well from from Robert Bigelow, uh, and of course he obviously got what he wanted. But um, the problematics go back further than that. I mean, it's a matter of do they want to tell us? You know, right. there's been plenty right. of times that these big companies and NASA have said, uh, put out polls and research and and asked big departments to say, look, put your heads together, guys, and tell us what do you think. And those reports have come back, and we only got to look at the Brookings Institute report from the early 60s. It said, basically, if you do find extraterrestrial life, we advise you not to tell the general public. That's what it said. But it did come with a warning at the end of it, and it said, but don't fall into this pattern of never, ever releasing that information. You are going to have to start educating the public because we can't stay in this position. So in other words, don't tell them, but drip feed them. Drip feed them enough information that eventually builds up builds up over a period of years to, to it be acceptable. Right. You yeah. know? And it has changed, you know. I mean, years ago, you get a UFO sighting, it was front page and people be talking about it and stuff. Now, you're lucky if you even mentioned in the newspaper or a side little piece of the column, or it's, or it's ridiculed across the internet uh, newspaper forums, and uh, and before, it's gone the following day. It doesn't exist the following day. You know, nobody's talking about it, and it's ended. And that's how fast that can happen now. You know, and I think they've, they've done it well. I think, they, you know, they've been drip-feeding us, drip-feeding our kids. You know, I mean, there's over 200 schools in the UK now that have gone through in part of the national curriculum about learning, learning about UFOs, believe it or not. Yeah. And... 108, 109 schools in the UK have actually had this situation where they built a crashed UFO and it's buried itself into the playground field and they put all these cones around. They bring, sometimes they bring real police officers, sometimes a real CSI guy, and they'll explain to the kids it's dangerous, don't go near to it, it could be hazardous, what would you do if you saw something like this? They take them back, in, back into class, they ask them to do some writing about a story about UFO, they ask them to draw an alien to get their sort of information out of them as to what they perceive an alien to be. You know, and it's all wrote up as a creative writing skills project. It's still very much active running across the, U- the UK, even now. You know, mm-hmm. they're still... All you've got to do is Google it, and you'll find all these different newspapers and all these wonderful photos of kids stood around these crashed UFOs in the fields and being taught it's a full letter about UFOs. I think it, it, I've seen video about that. 
some yeah, time ago. I do remember seeing video about that. It's yeah, a it's like, it's a way to acclimate people, right? Because we have to. I yeah. say I say this a lot. I know, I'm going to say this until it's you know we fix it. But if tomorrow aliens landed in Washington and started having you know conferences with our government openly for the public, there's still going to be people on Earth. I'm like, no, that's that's the devil. That's that's there's no doubt oh, in my mind. You know, I mean that's. These people exist, and they're going to try to kill them. We, we. Do you want to tell you how come that originated? Because it originates back to some very, very old biblical writings suggesting uh, the devil was listed as the prince of the skies. Yeah, yep. Now, you may have heard of this, and, and of course, that was taken literally verbatim, and, uh, and they thought, well, anything that is obviously, you know, referencing... And intelligence coming from the skies. Well, it goes back to ancient days from the star people, the sky people, or the ancients, what they said, you know, that, that they saw and experienced these type of beings that came from somewhere else. And it's it's followed on from there. So you've got people that will believe, okay, um, what are they? And we know that angelic beings, angels didn't exist before Ezekiel, because Ezekiel was the first one to list angelic beings, angels. Um, so it wasn't a, it wasn't before that. I mean, the problem is is that we've got all these different people, and they're all thinking to themselves, "Okay, well, maybe it could be demonic." And how do you right. argue against that? Because the problem is is that any form of demonic activity is said to be able to disguise itself as the opposer. In other words, that it's, it, 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 it it achieves itself achieves it, the things it does through pretending to be the opposer, the opposite. In other words, portraying itself as something good when yeah. it isn't. Portraying itself to be something else than it isn't. Yeah, that's that old quote from the Bible, the best trick the devil ever did was convince the world he didn't exist. Absolutely. So we can't argue it. We can't. This is a problem. It's, it's, there's a situation there where we can't argue it and say, okay, well, that's a preposterous idea. It, it isn't a preposterous idea if we're going to believe the information in these biblical writings, but of course, they are just biblical writings at the end of the day. You yeah, know? and the biggest problem with that is man has this habit of reforming any verbiage to see fit its control, depending on, like, uh, the King James version of the Bible. I learned some time ago that was altered to, for his liking. There was a lot of, you know, Steve, rewind time a long time ago. Some woman made a remedy for uh, whatever disease in, in this village. And that villager's like, wow, she must be a witch. And so some guy's like, well, let's prove she's not a witch. Let's throw these stones on her legs, throw her in a lake. If she comes out, she's a witch. We got to kill her. But if she drowns and dies, well, I guess she was okay. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> That's a no-win scenario, yeah. yeah. We've been pointing out many times, haven't we? Well, you are absolutely right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, we, we devise these situations where there's a no-win scenario many times. Yep. Uh, I mean, what's in, what is really interesting, though, is that, remember, Jack Vallée, back in the 60s, designed an artificial intelligence computer, and he fed in, information into this computer for a long, long time, pertaining to the UFO phenomena and the effects of it, the things that people have reported, paranormal, cryptids, all sorts of different things. But it wasn't able to achieve a conclusion because really, it just really wasn't good enough, the AI. But more recently, there is another one, which is known as the CRI operation, which was a, another AI system. Now, compared to modern technology, this is big difference. They did this again, and for three years, they fed information into it pertaining to 
UFOs and the, and the strange things that people experience during those encounters. And the same for cryptids and the same for the paranormal and supernatural things. And they put it all in. And eventually, after three years, they pressed the button. Let's see what it concludes. Now, it, came, it only came up with one sentence, but it's a very, very profound sentence. It said, because obviously the, it's trying to conclude what is responsible for it all. It concluded, quote, a singular source with the capabilities of creating physiological constructs. Oh. Now, that's really interesting. A single source. Now, why did it say a single source? Well, I'll tell you why the, the AI found, uh, came up with a single source. It's because it looked at the UFOs, and it looked at the paranormal, and it looked at the cryptids and all these things, and found so many connections between the phenomena that it delivered it to be a single source was responsible and that it has the capabilities of creating physiological constructs. Now, I'm a physiological construct. You are, I am. Everything we feel, touch is a physiological construct, if it's there or not. If it has the capabilities of creating physiological constructs, then we're going to get footprints. We're going to have into physical interactions. You know, we won't be able to tell it difference from a real physical phenomena. And, and that was a really interesting one-liner, just only a one-liner. It was a very, very interesting one. It was developed from three years of plowing information into this artificial intelligence computer to try and conclude what is it? What's responsible for it? An architect, at, at, in, so many, in so many words, an architect. You know, this leads me to another thing I was going to discuss with you. When I hear that about a single source, uh, an architect per se, mm. uh, I don't, I don't particular, or for a long time, I couldn't subscribe to the idea of there being um, like a, like simulation theory. And so yes. I had time to examine what that is. And I didn't realize, it, it, and a lot of people don't realize this, simulation doesn't always mean that what you live in is simulated. Rather, we're simulated. Because if you think about what we are physiologically, we're bodies, bones, blood, but our 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 aware our self awareness our consciousness which I think our soul and conscious you know the same thing we're downloaded yeah. to these bodies and then when the body is no longer viable we are back now back uploaded to the source. Well, yeah, there's also been arguments about the, the reality that we experience, which does differ from different people, and um, is also can be is a simulation because there's evidence of us manipulating the system. And how you manipulate that system is, is way, there is a way through conscious behavior, how it is again, conscious behavior, right. to bend reality to your favor. I, and not break it, but bend it. You can't break it, but you can manipulate it to your favor through the power of consciousness. Just as you can bring real things into, a real, into our reality, like a tulpa. You know, we, we, if we believe it enough, we can create it and have it manifest into the real reality that we think it is, in, in, you know, that, to make it real. And this has been time, time done many, many times by people studying the UFO phenomena, conjuring phenomena like CE5. It's been done around the science table where we've conjured phenomena and it's been physical applications that have been left behind. You know, if we just talk about the very important school experiment that took place in the 1990s in a small town in Norfolk in the UK, you know, the skull, apports were left. Uh, one of them was, was a, a newspaper, and it was absolutely mint. But 
it was on old paper. The process of printing was old. It was as if it had been plucked out from a hundred and odd years ago and just dropped onto the table. Wow. What was really interesting is that that particular newspaper aged roughly 500 days every day. That's how fast it went brown. We know how long it takes for paper to go, newspaper for that period to go brown. And how fast it went was like it caught up with time. Literally 500 days passed for every day we had it. Huh. Like a manifestation, you know? I mean, you know, this is separate paranormal and ufology and and psychics. This very thing you're talking about is exampled in uh, athletes. Like some of these guys, athletes and, and even like some of our, our, you know, people in the military, like it's a mindset that they remap, reprogram their brain and they go out and do amazing shit that other people can't do. Uh, I, I watched that when you get the opportunity, watch um, the last dance with about the, the nineties bulls with Michael Jordan and oh, yeah. Yeah. Michael Jordan would go in his mind and invent reasons to perform greater and would not only perform well, but outperform even to his best ability. Like he was sick with, with a stomach, um, a bad stomach from food poisoning. And he mentally went somewhere. And so when I hear someone say that their machine, their body is breaking down and they utilize their computer, their brain to reprogram and step up and do great things. Yeah. You got that, that, that lets me know that there's something more than just the physics we understand. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it, it goes as far as external environmental change. I mean, we know that when tests were carried out on people which thought they were lucky, you know, there has been people that have won big lotteries three, four times. Well, it's impossible to so the odds. How could he do it three, four times? There's obviously something about the mechanism of those individuals, about the really lucky, right. uh, the mechanism, and it comes to their advantage. Now, it's the same for people which are of, of, the, of the opposite side, which are... Though, well, nothing ever goes right for me and, uh, you know, the pessimistic and that sort of thing. And it will continue to be like that because of the mindset and the reality that we build around them. But in positive people, tests were carried out. They took them into a scientific laboratory and they put the, there's a very, there's like a, a cascade device in there. And the whole thing is, is that these boards go into this cascade device and should, should, by every single known purpose of when they're running on its own, fall in a pattern that kind of creates a pyramid. Now, what they wanted to see is that we want you to sit in front of this machine and we want your the outcome to change. It never does change, but we want you to sit in front of it and change the outcome of the machine. We want it to be advantageous. In other words, let's not have this pyramid shape. Let's have more of these balls falling towards the front end. And you know what? They did it. It might have only been a few percentage, but it did it, and they kept doing it. And so that you knew that their positiveness, their consciousness and the positiveness was changing the physiological outcome of their reality. And this is why you get people which are, well, you know what, I'm, I'm always successful in what I do because of the mindset. Well, I think there's a little bit more than just being positive about this. I think you actually are working with that universe and putting out for it. And that universe provides in a certain way. And it keeps those people that recognize that in that particular place. And that is the same principles as the ancient secret societies. Exactly the same. The way they do things, the way they surround themselves, the symbolism is because of this particular belief system. And that belief system brings good health, good wealth. There's a reason for it. They wouldn't do it otherwise. You know, and it's scattered around. It's a very big secret, right from the old days. <laughs> yep. But I think they're doing it. They even know. 
I, I agree with you. You know, and again, to reference like the athletes um, in that same uh, series I was talking about, Michael Jordan comes back from retirement. He didn't play so great. His and they're interviewing his uh, his physical coach at this point, and the guy's like, "Listen, when uh, when are you ready to come back work out at the end of summer?" And Michael Jordan was like, "Tomorrow, I'll be at tomorrow." You know what I mean? In pool players, uh, this guy Shane Van Bonen, this guy is like one of the greatest in the world in, in pool, and he never stops breaking balls and putting more effort in. And it, and I say that that's just not hard work. That's exactly yeah. what you're saying. He's an optimistic thinker. He's got these. He's his mindset is, "I want better outcomes." Period. Yes, and that's so, it. I mean, I agree with that. Yeah. So it, there's evidence that that's showing that actually what does work. People manipulate their own environment. Um, so, so in other words, it goes away from the external self. And it's the same process of creating tulpas, you know, where witchcraft created tulpas. You know, um, I mean, it was that famous experiment in, in, in Canada where psychologists, group of psychologists got together. It was known as the Philip experiment. They created a ghost. They gave him his name. They gave a story about him. They gave him an identification, roughly drew what he looked like sort of thing. And over a period of time, he started to manifest and be seen and experienced. They created a ghost through the, through the power of the mind. And it became a real interactive phenomena present that people could experience. So the you know, question is, you know, if you believe a house is haunted, will it become haunted in a period of time if you just constantly believe it is so? It's you like know, opening we, a gateway to it too. Like you're you're talking about energy because I, 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 I could get behind that. Energy creating energy. That makes prime, that's in fact what the source, when we say the source, we call God or, or the architect, that's the that's same it. thing. It's energy yeah. manipulating energy to become an, an existence. You've got it. Yeah, that's it. You know, that's exactly what it is because we know that energy is, is, is transposes. It doesn't die energy. It transposes to something. But if we can utilize that transposition, it means that we can make it into something but through the power of belief. And it's the same thing that's been practiced right back to ancient times. You know, uh, physiological things were created, be it deities, what they, what they saw, they manifested them through the power of long belief. To, to many different things. And it's found even in modern-day cultures that tulpas could possibly exist through simply the power. I mean, you know, there were m many different ancient cultures, even the Native Americans thought these things could be created. Yeah, you know, that's another big thing, too, is, like, psychics and other people that have uh, extraordinary, extraordinary abilities – it's it's a software in their in their hardware in their brain, right? The computer has a, a like a download other people don't have. But I did speak to a clairvoyant, and they did say you could hone these things. You could if you focus on it, right? You you you, and it makes sense because a computer. If you and I buy a same computer, right? Mm. Um, you download a program to do art. I don't have that program. I'm not going to do the art. I would have to download that program and then work on it in order in order for that to be a, a yeah. functioning application. And it makes mm -hmm. sense, right? So you'd have to sit down, focus. And there's a lot of power in human focus. And, and me meditation in itself, which people don't realize, every, some people say they can't meditate. When you intently focus on doing anything you're doing, whether it be cooking, uh, sports, your work, you're, focus you're meditating. You just don't, it's just, a, it's a very hyper-focused meditation. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is a, a lots of folks, different versions of 
of meditation is used for numerous different things. You know, you can achieve things beyond the physical body. I mean, we say that, you know, the, the physical body can't last without uh, drinking something for three days. Three weeks, this is a three, 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 isn't it? It's like, hold your breath for three minutes. You can, uh, three, three days without drinking. There's three weeks without food. You know, that sort of thing. But, you know, you've got these Buddhist monks and they'll exceed what the body is, is capable of doing. And, I mean, it's, they can fast for weeks at a time, not only food, but, but drink as well. Right. And yet right. they, they seem perfectly fine. You know, and according to science, well, that, that just can't happen. It's impossible. And yet they do it. Yeah, you know? monks do that all the time. Oh, yeah, of course yeah. they do. I mean, a lot. But they don't understand it. I mean, I remember them taking in somebody who was a, a Buddhist monk and uh, they wanted to know how is he capable of doing such things. And during his meditation, they, they obviously put a, um, all these probes on his head to measure the brainwave activity. And it literally it lit up like a Christmas tree. I'll tell you that much. And they couldn't understand how parts of the brain are firing they're firing with activity in parts of the brain which were thought to be redundant through the power of chi at the time of analysis. And uh, they, they just shut their heads. They just said, well, we, we've never seen that before. We, we don't know. We don't know how it, how it works. I gotta, are- I'm i going to start looking more into it. I've been hearing a lot about that lately. Um, the chi and, and, and the energy around surrounding your energy field surrounding you. Uh, again, once upon a time before a podcast and before I started like reading and opening my mind up, I was like, that's horseshit. But then you start learning what some of these people are doing out there and they're doing like you're saying, they're exampling greater abilities outside of the, their physical self. Yes. And that's, that's impressive, man. You know, so I'm going to look yeah. more into that. Well, I mean, we, out of all mammals, you know, look across the whole planet, every mammal on this planet, we are the most limited, sensory limited. And that might be a reason. There might be a reason why we become sensory limited. I mean, we're Homo, homo sapien, sapien now. Our ancient ancestors, Homo sapiens, were far more gifted than we were. They were far more gifted. And we know this through the information they left behind in ancient texts and the way they did things and lived their life and built construction. We know that they, they may have been able to have infrasonic hearing, there's a good likely chance that they could have even heard planet Earth's 7.83 hertz, human resonance, you know, because there's references to it. And you think, well, how can you reference something you can't hear? Well, no, only modern-day humans can't hear it. I think, in a sense of speaking, we've devolved to some degree in yeah. it, in, internally, yeah. psychologically. We've devolved from our ancients. But we've advanced ourselves in other areas like technology and stuff. Right, right. Well, human-wise, what our capabilities are, that survival sense, the instincts, the, the knowledge that they have, they could pick up frequencies, the finest ones, the very, very acute ones, even though, because we know they identified them with lays all around the planet. It's going to could- it, sound crazy, but if it, just in the last 50 years, um, because of technology, we're very dependent on our phones and our technology and our apps. And someone asked me, he goes, if you go back in time to say the eighties, how would you get along there? And I sat down and thought about that. I'm like, well, that's true. Okay. Cause right now when I want to watch something, I hit a button. There it is. When I want to learn something, hit a button. There it is. Back then, if you wanted to learn something, you went to this place called the library, <laughs> you know, 
And if you wanted to navigate around a strange city, you had to use a map. And then you had to also have good orientation of northwest, east, south, and so on. You know what I mean? And so have we de-evolved? I think we did. I think we're going to continue to do so because technology is becoming so significant, even to the point one day where we're going to have a, a chip in our head. And at that point, communication is no longer going to be needed, you know? And it's going to – so, yeah, I think we, we are de- – if you go back to even, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago, we had to have our senses sharp. The threat of, of anything from any direction was always on the back of our mind, right? You could be killed at any point. And then our ancestors, uh, you're talking about they have to hide from, you know, saber-toothed tigers and, and bears, and they had to be <laughs> hyper alert, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they had that, they had that reliable on that survival sense. I mean, the skin... You know, that is the largest organ on your body. It's the largest organ. And that organ tells us information. Now, it happens in paranormal investigation. You go into a certain building, you do an investigation. All of a sudden, your skin alerts you. It alerts you by putting, you know, that feeling of goosebumps and the hair yeah. going up. And up. You know, that, what is that? Well, I'll tell you what that is. That's your survival sense kicking in. It's your fight or flight responses kicking in. It's telling you, just because you might not see something, just because you don't hear something, something's in my environment and I don't like it. Yeah, it's you, your body. It's your survival sense. Now, can you imagine that in the ancient days when you're walking out in the woods and you suddenly got that? Well, you're probably being watched by a predator. Yep. You know, yep. it's a yep. warning mechanism. That sensory, that sensory thing is used and, and it's experienced, not only paranormal investigation, it's the same for people in the ufological when they're out and about and suddenly... You know, something appears in the sky and you get that feeling. Now, the problem is, is that we live in a society now that pushes refined sugar down us, which yeah, kills yeah. adrenal, it's adrenal weakness. causes It causes your, uh, your, your, your adrenaline to just drop away. So in other words, you, you're non-reliant on your fight or flight anymore. So even though your body's screaming at you, get the hell out of there, you're not recognizing it because yeah. you just, you, you know, you cons- the things that we consume nowadays is devised to ruin the mechanism we rely on for survival sense. So we become redundant to it, and that's the problem. Some people are better than others, I admit that. But there are better ways. The, the pure you can get to drinking normal foods, not like refined sugar, which acts as a poison to the body. I mean, we everybody, everybody has refined sugar as far as I'm concerned. But I've just noticed it even when I go on investigations. So if, if I starve myself of refined sugar just for 72 hours, well, am I sensitive? I mean, my body is alert and I'm going around and I, the, the sensory perceptions I'm getting from the body, I, I listen to. And I, and I don't ignore it. If I have to back off from a phenomenon somewhere, I'll back off. You know, I will do. There was an incident in, in Palm Springs up in the mountains. We knew where to go. We knew when to go. And we experienced a phenomenon up there, appeared as a close encounter experience in the sky and put on a absolute beautiful beautiful display of lights like arc you know building you know like arc lights that were that bright beautiful colors but in a sense we were glamoured and we're too busy i was so busy watching this object in awe that i wasn't aware that this phenomenon was already on the ground behind us and we had to hot tail it out it was only because i was with 303 other people which were attuned to that that got me out of there and they were. That phenomenon was on the ground already, and we were glamoured. We were. I was. I was gone. I was hooked into this phenomena, 
you know, and, and I don't know what would have happened, but I realised very quickly when they brought it to my attention that the things there were things on the ground in the distance behind us, and whilst I was literally staring at this object, and I hotelled it out of there. Now, you know, I learned that what happens is is that my body reacts. My body goes, uh-oh, uh-oh, something, alert, 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 something's going on. And that, that tells me to look away and watch my surroundings of where I am right. to be alert, right. you know. So there is a big difference today. We are nullified by the things we eat and drink. And that's probably not accidental. Probably is a very clever way of really is dumbing down that survival sense. We don't want outward thinkers. You know, we don't want them to be progressive. We want them to become reliable upon the system. And so, therefore, we become reliable on, upon the system. But for many, they still do have it to some degree, that survival sense. The body will, will, will alert them to these dangers. Uh, and then it's just a matter of acting upon them. You know, there's a, a study on YouTube. It is titled, What Happens When You Quit Sugar? And, oh. it, and in that study, he said, you become more alert, you'll have more more energy for longer periods of time, and your your attention span will improve. Yeah. And so, now that being said, although those are things that he's he's targeting for, obviously, for productive reasons like work or school, that is right there, your key primal sense, sensory coming back online. Yeah. That's exactly what that is. I mean, that's... I'm, you know, I'm guilty. I have, I, like, I, I, coffee. I do as well. I do, don't, you know, we all do. I mean, I think, you know, but I've trained myself when I'm going out on investigations. I will stop myself for 72 hours because I tell you what, it, the big difference on, on how you feel on site when you don't have it. What do people mostly do on sky watches and they go out and stuff? Well, they're drinking Coca Cola and they yeah. got yeah. candy bars and all Those are all those rooms. They're filling themselves up with refined sugar. They're nullifying their fight or flight response, so it's not going to work. They're not going to identify it properly. I'm gonna. I, I drink coffee with honey, right? Raw honey. That's mm-hmm. my sweetener. I don't and I. I don't use cream or any da- dairy products. I, that's a recent change for me. Uh, mostly, Absolutely. mostly because it just what we're talking about—the ability to be more alert. Because if I'm going to go yeah. in the field and do research, I want to be alert. I want to. I want to really absorb the information I'm. I'm gathering. Well, I realise that not all phenomena is uh, love and light. It's as simple as that. It's not. I mean, sometimes there is a gamble that's involved. If you want to head out into a region where no many people go, but phenomena is present because it's hyper-invasive, like I say, and often, often you know, um, associates with locations which are out, out and about and away from us, um, and you enter into that location, their location, and, it, and you experience something, you don't know what the result of that experience is going to be. Not always is it a positive experience. It might be just be a neutral one, and you think, okay, well, I saw something, I came away, and that's that. That's okay. But then sometimes there are incidents that don't end well. And if you, for some people out in the field that do a lot of investigation, there's a gamble that's involved. Absolutely there's a gamble involved. It's like saying, if you go into enough haunted houses and you work it, does the phenomena come back home with? Well, yes, it does sometimes. I'm not going to lie to people. Yes, it does. And to be honest here with you, the, 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 the bloody annoying yeah, it happens. It doesn't stay for long, but it's annoying, right. you know, right. none, nonetheless. But it does. It can track back home to you. And there is, there is something that you have to be aware of when involved in that particular field of study. 
You know, uh, if you're going into other people's environments, there's a good chance that it could happen and you need to be able to prepare yourself for that in some way. But it's even better when you have a knowledge or survival sense sort of saying, okay, I'm feeling something, it ain't quite right, I'm going to act upon it. You know, and it's the same for all types of different types of investigations. But uh, like I say, though, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've noticed just without three days of it, of any refined sugar, that I am very acute when it comes to, I react very quickly, a lot more responsive to my survival sense when I'm out and about. I mean, I've been areas, I've just walked in and I've just gone, oh, flipping heck, this, this is something here, there's something in there. And uh, my, and my body's just gone into alert mode. It's telling me, screaming at me, there's something in there, don't like it. Don't, you know, you can have that instantly with people. Some people have a certain auric field, which is a kind of a negative sense. And what happens is, is that you might go into a particular room and you see this person, and suddenly you have this, this, this feeling of being repelled, like putting two north poles together on magnets, you get pushed away. It's like mm, something, I don't know what it is. Can't put my finger on it, but it's just something about that person. You know, you should rely on those senses because you know what I'm saying, not everybody is compatible, you know, and that's there for a reason. And I think it's a kickback from our survival sense. I mean, it was probably even a very much more potent with our ancient ancestors than what we might have today but we still get elements of it. It's still there to some degree. Yeah. I mean, you could see that if you could example that. Uh, so here, you know, what has no refined sugar in its diet and utilizes those same centuries to, to perfection or animals. Yes. You ever watch the behavior of animals before natural disasters? It's like, they know. Oh, they know because they, you know, this is it. This is exactly it. They, they are where we are. We are the most limited animal on the planet. And I don't know, really, it's unusual to find, considering we've been the most progressive animal in on the planet, and yet we're so limited. I mean, just your normal household pet is 10 times more smarter in regarding perceptibility than we are. It's true. Yeah. I, you know, I, there was a, a, a hurricane back in 2017 in Florida, and I lived right by the ocean. I lived on mm. Dunedin Causeway. And... We were driving to our friend's house because he was more inland, uh, not a flood zone. And I didn't see any birds around. I didn't see any squirrels around. Nothing. It's like they, right before that storm came, they were very aware of it. And wherever they went to hide, they hid. They were gone. Well, they're very much attuned to planet Earth. And, of course, I think our ancestors were like that. We're very much so. And this is why they spent sometimes, you know, 60, 100 years for a, for a generation of family, to to dig under the ground, to dig into mountains, you know, these homes underground, because it was a time when, obviously, what happened on planet Earth is that maybe there was a huge ejector from the sun, and it caused a tremendous amount of heat for a duration of time, and it was just too hot to live above ground, so they plan to, if they're going to flourish, they have to dig into the ground. And we see these areas all over the world. You can go to all these different places. I've been to them. And the work, it, you think to yourself, how on earth did they dig all these into rock? And these homes, and they have them all over the world. And that was obviously, I mean, you look at the timings these were done, they were done around about the same time. So obviously they realised, too hot to live in. But what was interesting is that they they relocated from their areas thousands of miles away 
is as if they had a predecessor you know, or, or something coming. Huh. Let's go. Something's coming, and we need to we need to move. Huh? You know that that's a there, there's a where, I'm trying to remember where I read this, but I read something where the like so anyway the ancient Egyptians uh, for whatever reason could forecast like sandstorms and. They would keep cats, and I, people had this idea that they kept cats because they're elegant or beautiful. They kept cats because cats, for some reason, would sense storms and go to hide. Yes, and yes. so they I, kept them in chambers to, to essentially because they, I guess they, or here's our interpretation: they could see evil spirits. But cats were like they would. Cats are one of those things; they're curious creatures. But when dangers around, you know, they're they're gone. Like today, if you own a cat, someone breaks in your house, is a cat attacking the burglar? No, he's hiding. You know what I mean? So. Bible sense, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so I read another study about people who have experiences with um, with abduction, and a mm. large percentage of them that own dogs got rid of the dogs because it got to the point where they knew they couldn't stop it. So why be disrupted by the dogs? Yes, yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, sometimes you can tell. I mean, there are people have had said, "Oh, yes, I've had a wonderful experience." This angelic being appeared in the bedroom. The poor dog was also in the bedroom. Was absolutely terrified. Yeah, I rely on the sensory inputs of that dog more than us because our perception can be manipulated by this phenomena. But I don't know if animals are. I think animals might see it for, for what it truly represents, and they go off hiding. I mean, this dog would wet itself. It was that scared. Right. Um, and I was, and I was saying, well, I'm gonna say, you're telling me this was a lovely angelic feeling and this entity entered into your room but what about your dog you know and she's like well what about, your dog was so stressed it wet itself i mean that doesn't happen very often the poor right. thing was absolutely terrified now i'm more reliant on what your dog's perception as to what we are what we're experiencing because ours can be so easily manipulated by this phenomenon yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look more into that. How many experiencers own dogs? Because it, the guy I'd spoken to, uh, you know, the one of the off podcast interviews I do, he said uh, it's, it goes not that I didn't love my dog, but you know, why disturb the neighbors? Why why the, the animal doesn't deserve to go through it? He goes, and it's he didn't mind the experiences he was going through, but again, why torture the animal? And then why keep it people up? And and the neighbors complain about the dog barking all day all night. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, it goes back to the times when we have to question, you know, why, why did people start domesticating animals like that and keep them close by? It's for that warning system, right? Maybe it's because we needed them to be a lot, that alert for us because, you know, we, the more limited we became in our perceptions, we become more reliable on maybe domesticated animals to, to do that for us. Well, yeah, I know, a lot, I know a lot of people own dogs today solely so when they're sleeping, if someone breaks in, a dog reacts, they wake up. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, this is why they, you know they probably they were so domesticated. But you're probably right about cats. I mean, if, you know, if the Egyptians saw that cats could understand predecessors to incidents, they probably thought, "Wow, they, you know, they, they have, they're in touch with the afterlife. They, they know what's going to happen. They know what's coming." And that's yeah. what made them so significant. Is yeah, the yeah. Fact cats, that cats. First, their first reaction to anything is flight. Period. Because they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're meant to be a stealth killer. They're not meant to have battles in the field, right? Where dogs well, are meant to, to go to war, cats will run and hide. Like, I used to tell people, man, like, if you own a dog and you yell at it, you broke that dog's heart all day. The dog feels bad. If you yeah. yell at a cat, the cat kind of looks at you like, what the hell's your problem? You know? They, <laughs> <laughs> 
two different sides of the spectrum with those animals. <laughs> they're, very highly, they're very highly predators, cats still. Yeah. And, uh, the thing is with any predatory animal, you know, the problem is, is that when they engage into battle, it's usually because they have to eat. Any wild animal right. the same. But they weigh it up. They measure it up every single time because one thing they cannot afford is to be injured in the fight. If they're injured in the fight, they die because they can't fly, they can't run anymore, they can't feed themselves, that's the end of it. They kind of sum it up. They've learned to sum it up. And it's the same for, you know, for falcons who give chase to smaller birds. You know, they'll, they'll sit and watch a particular bird for hours. And then eventually when it does do it, it will not give up until it gets it. You know, because it's summed it all up and it's worked it all out and it's the least problematic for it to be injured. You know, but like any predatory animal, they don't want to engagement an engagement where they could get injured so much because it's life dependency. And I think cats do still have that within them a lot. I saw a video. I, I look a lot of these paranormal videos on YouTube. Uh, a lot of them I dismiss because I could just I could I could see the edit or I could just tell right. But in one particular video, there's a this woman owns several cats, and she in the living room. There's this, uh, I guess, a mist, and you could see it, right? And so I was like, well, maybe that's fake. But until you see all three cats react to it and run, and I was yes. like, well, holy shit, you know what I mean? So whatever it was, they're, they're they weren't going to fight it. They were they split, and you know, oh, so yeah. it made well, me think to myself, like that's they clearly could perceive because that I think that carrot because it was in black and white. And even in the mist, I don't think the naked eye would have saw that. I think the camera p- picked it up. And cats, I, I don't know how true it is or isn't. Uh, but I, I hear a lot of people tell me cats can perceive spirits or they can perce- or what we call ghosts anyway. They, they can yes. they can detect them. I've seen plenty of times when cats are just staring and watching something up in the top corner of your room. And the the what the, the, the you can literally you can watch your cat you can see that they're watching something that like moving because they're monitoring it as it slightly moves they, they they their eyes are moving they're following something that i can't see you know and that and many people have reported that you know that i am you know domesticated animals have have occasionally reacted in that manner as if they are seeing something that uh, that we with our limited capabilities are not unfortunately which us Beggars the question then is that if they are witnessing more to reality than we are, then there are things that might enter into the reality for a cat or for a dog that is still out of our threshold of human understanding. Right. Um, and because we are simply that limited. Now, the question is, is how and why do we become so limited? I mean, we'd expect that obviously we'd be better than our ancients, you know? I mean, remember this great big argument over the evolutionary. Um, from coming, you know, from man coming from ape, but the big arguments there, I mean, was the fact is that well, you know, we've got to understand that Darwin's evolutional theory is theory. It was never fact, and he even questioned it himself. But it kind of fit at the time, so they went with it. But the problematics of that is that if you take the, the just a chimpanzee today, they're more evolved than us. I mean, first start, I mean, the, the hair stops growing at a certain length. I mean, I'll keep cutting it. Same for the nails. They can see it better in the dark. That's a good smell point. <laughs> they can swallow and breathe at the same time. We choke to death. They walk more flat-footed than us, which is better because they've they got better contact with the ground. They don't tend to fall over as much as humans do. I mean, we walk on the two balls of our feet, and 
you know, that's not very good for humans because, you know, we, we often lose our balance and we fall over and we have injuries. You know, and, and, and the bones are 10% denser. They're, they're, they're 30 times stronger than a human body, a human being. I mean, it's just, you think to yourself, hang on a second. So you're saying that I've evolved from that because oh. surely I would be better because you evolved. But no, I mean, if you look at all the all the details, put them all down on paper against chimpanzee and humans, it looks like we've devolved, if that's the case. So that kind of went out the window, really, to some degree, as to, well, where did we come from? And what is our, you know, what what was, what two things came together to develop well, humanity in this sense? When you present it that way, it sounds like yeah. we're an experiment. <laughs> it, well, it, it really does. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a real profound problem that, we don't know where humanity is really derived from. I mean, we have this, we have to come up with some funds. We can't just go with nothing. So we came up with the idea that e- evolutionary theory. And don't get me wrong, evolution does work, especially you know on micro evolution, right. where you mm-hmm. might have, um, for instance, there's one particular island that has finches on birds, and their beaks have grown longer because the food that they eat has to be differently, you know, taken and right. They, growing the beats to be able to deal with that that's micro evolution but you're talking macro evolution to this scale and they're saying well we've still not found the missing link the missing link that takes us from the apes to us because we haven't come from the apes you know it's just obvious uh, but we would expect not just one missing link at least 20 missing links because it doesn't macro evolution doesn't happen like that it's micro evolution over periods of time We'd expect 20 other different type of humanoids to get to us, and they don't exist, and that's the problem. We kind of just suddenly appear from nowhere, the way we are, and uh, significantly different than our ancients. And uh, the big question is, nobody really knows how that happened and when it happened. It's like the old argument to life on planet Earth. You say, oh, yes, don't worry about it. The Eukaryotes created, uh, started, became cannibalistic one day and started eating these other particular ones, and therefore life was created but then the, the best scientists in the world came together and said well hang on a second if life was created on planet earth like that like you're saying the chances of that is ridiculous i mean they gave an example they said imagine a whirlwind this is the example again imagine a whirlwind going through a, an old junkyard and reassembling a 747 jet piece by piece that's oh. the chance factor <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's crazy. And think about this. I spoke with a biologist about something. I asked him, a friend of mine, he works in biology, what his thoughts on evolution were. This is a long time ago. And he said if he, he didn't subscribe to the idea we, we came from apes because if we did, he, he thinks by, by the scale of evolution, we would just now get around to using tools right now. <laughs> yeah. He goes, if we're yeah. really going to base on the evolution from that path that they're talking about, and there yes. are plenty of gaps in the evolution for us. We would only be playing with sticks today, right? We are, we'd still be kind of in our stone age. Exactly. So, something gave us an advance, right? We, we, I have to think at some point a higher intelligence. Well, some people call it God, call it architect. Maybe it's the, our visitors. We, uh, we are part of this experiment, but we definitely got a boost in, because every creature on this planet, uh, we all share the same kind of DNA in a sense, right? Because we're from Earth, um, yes. but we're the only ones that what that could be that are self-aware, had not to use computers and drive. 
dolphins are extremely smart, but they're limited because they're that's they live in the ocean. They, they can't use tools, that's and right. if they do, it's very right. minuscule. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it is a big problem. You know, but it gets skirted around so many times. Nobody, the the big guys who buy tools, they just want to steer away from it. You know, I mean, he, I mean, you know, it, it was pretty much figured out years ago. That's why the Smithsonian Institute were were making sure that you know that uh, we we were hidden hiding things from us you know lot, even big skeletons giants i mean giants all over the planet you know the largest almost dirty foot is ridiculous but um how many so many different giants with some had double teeth rows of teeth some have six digits on the hands you know it's, it's just remarkable but the evidence we now know exists the bones existed in fact they got so many of them the smithsonian institute from around the world when they were shipping them they started dumping them at sea he had that many of them, so that he wouldn't find them. But um, yeah, there was a big it, there was evidence all over the planet of them. So, but it, it doesn't fit into the between the ape and human sapiens sapiens as we are now. The giants don't fit there in the middle. It's as if there's another string. There's another chapter another that's book. not that's not available to us. That's it. The the, the hidden chapter. You know the Nephilim. Yeah. The giants of old, whoever these people were, they existed because the bones exist, and we can look at those bones now and measure them, and we can see that they've got two rows of teeth, extra digits on the fingers, and we start to think, well, you know what? How does that happen? And it doesn't. It just doesn't happen like that, you know. So there's a whole other area that just completely ignored. We want to follow this string. You know, right. and not look at this other element here, which creates all these giants around the planet. I mean, it's just you know that it, too, though. You know, that's another another uh, another obstacle in that case is religion, because religion strongly su- suggests that a handful of thousands of years ago we were made in a garden someplace. And two people, just two, might I add, made everyone. Well, you know, that's questionable, <laughs> then, isn't it? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I think what happened is a higher being explained to early man how we came to be, right? Uh, this is me just, you know, throwing it in the water, see what happens. Uh, and per usual humans, we had to, like, expand on what was told to us and make it greater. Like, uh, an example would be if I went back 10,000 years ago and I, and I said, hey, man, I threw a rock and hit that tree. In 10,000 years' time, it's I threw the rock, hit the tree, and blew up that entire continent. You know, because that's that's what we do as humans. I don't know why we do it, but we always elaborate. We 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 fictionalize what should have been already a great story, right? Yeah, I mean, I think what we've what's happened is is that we've one side of humanity is is advanced, but the other side hasn't. We're playing catch up. Yeah. So really, yeah. deep within a, deep within the humanity themselves. We really haven't come far from the trees, to be honest with you. You know, and warring is still, you know, the person with the biggest stick wins is the same old story from caveman days. Yep. Um, it's just we just use larger weapons to to, to flex our muscles now. Yep. But the fact yep. is, is that that side, that department isn't advanced. Yet we've advanced on the other side, you know, regarding technology and mathematics and exploration and those sort of things. Well, that's okay. But, you know, to be honest, we're, we're we're a dangerous cocktail, I think, humanity. I mean, if oh, you, yeah. you know, I mean, if we are to go out there into space and the way we are at this moment, I mean, it's not going to take long before, before you know, someone's going to get peed off and 
blow up a planet or something like that. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But yeah, I don't I think we've advanced ourselves psychologically. Yeah, that's that's it. that's the biggest problem with us. We still have ideologies, and we still have our individual identities, and we still have race, and we still have politics. We have too many reasons to have division, and that's so. Imagine, and I say this a lot, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but if you're a greater intelligence and you came this way, no matter if it's the vastness of space or if or if you came here dimensionally. You did it as a species, and you did it with agreement, and you've you've moved past individuality at that point, and you're here to do yeah. a study. We're yeah. far, far, far away from that. It's it's a scary thought. It really is a scary thought. I mean, you know, we watch all these horror films about aliens in space and how bad they are. Da, 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 da. You know what? I think there's if there's anything out there, they're probably dreading us being out in a heartbeat. They are right. Don't don't give those guys any more technology. They're out of control. <laughs> Like I, I imagine, Steve. Like, <laughs> let's say, let's let's do this. Let's play this part. We're the aliens. We came yeah. here. We gave humanity a boost. Like these guys are really. Let, let's see if we add a little something to the DNA pool. There, we could we could move them along quicker. And so, just try to imagine on your in your house, you have a uh, an aquarium, and humanity's in there, and you're watching humanity. They're they're an experiment, and one day you're not paying attention, and you turn around, and you hear boom, and you're like, what the hell is that? And you, and you discover that they've learned how to that harness the power of the sun. And not only they, not only are they harnessing the power of the sun to do great devastation. You're like, all right, well, maybe they're they're going to use this technology to, you know, better power their their homes or whatever. And then before you know it, they blow up Japan. Like, holy shit! They just use it against other people. They're killing people. And they're like, well, listen, maybe it was an isolated incident. We do see how it played out. Give them time. They'll, maybe they'll get better. They use it against Japan again. They're like, holy shit! Now we got to get involved. Like they're twice. <laughs> so it's a scary process to think that because it really is. It's, it's the don't press the red button scenario. How long do you last? <laughs> yeah. Like there's no way we're going to let them get inter, inter, interplanetary, right? Because well, God forbid they find a planet with primitive people on it because humans, it's been proven through history how we behave. Uh, oh, yeah. Just on continents, we go to another planet, we find a primitive race that's humanoid and they're, they're like say they're in their Bronze Age. The first thing in our mind is, well, we could go down there and enrich their lives with, I don't know what, our religion or politics. Maybe they want Amazon. You know, before you know it, we're enslaving them. <laughs> you know, believe like well, us or die. I mean, it's crazy. Well, these these, these big governmental, you know, the uh, agencies and even the secret societies and stuff are aware of all this. They're, they're not that. They, they know it goes back in time. I mean, if you just look at the, the moon landing, Apollo moon landing, all the photographs, of the Apollo moon landing, are Buzz Aldrin. All of them. Not oh, yeah. Neil Armstrong, but Buzz Aldrin. And that was because Buzz Aldrin was, went through the process of all this Freemasonry Masonic stuff before they even planted the flag. The first flag was a Masonic flag. The second flag was the United States. But they went through that process. And NASA had a very good understanding of the reasons why they were doing that, including governmental agencies, secret societies. And it's the same as the Scientology. You know, if you get into Scientology, the first thing you're going to learn is about how, you know, aliens or extraterrestrials were associated at the beginning. And it's the same story. You take Freemasons back, it goes into Egypt, take that back, it goes into Samaria. It goes back to the days of when there was this intelligence of knowledge that was provided to us from elsewhere. And that fundamental thing and that fundamental practice is still developed and used secretly 
in NASA, in these government agencies, they know that the source, if you align yourself to the source, this problem might be successful. might be that, oh, well, there's a higher entity and they're always watching us, that sort of thing, so let's at least pay homage. You know, it seems that seems to be the case. There's definitely a pattern. I mean, there's no question of that. (laughs) Oh, God, there's so much of it, and it's secretly done. We don't never would never hear about it, but uh, it's there. And I don't know if what is the reasons for it. Well, I could only say whether they actually do believe the fact that by by being involved in this and keeping it alive and this practice and doing this in this way is is overlooked by hierarchies that may be in touch with our reality or deliver us better wealth and health or success. You know, it's it, it's profound, but it's. I often question myself. I say, "Well, all these big societies and agencies are doing it. What's in it for them? Because it clearly takes a lot of effort." Well, yeah. Not only that, if you consider all you're saying, it's definitely listen. All these big societies and governments, like I hear these people say, "Oh, the gold and the Freemason gold." Like, I think these people are very aware how worthless gold is. You can't eat gold. You can't drink it. You can't grow plants from it. It's it at, essentially it started as a very pretty material that. People are like, well, where'd you get that? Like, oh, the gods gave it to me. Uh, it's special. They're like, well, how do I get some of this special shiny shit the gods gave you? He goes, give me some of your uh, your crops or some of your water. And that's so where gold got its value, in my opinion, because, again, these bigger groups of people have to recognize that that trade material make, means nothing in the long run. It doesn't. No, I think it could be symbolistic. You know, I think the fact is, is that if you want to go back to the days of the Sumerian so-called gods who said that they required the gold, which is interesting because they said that they needed to put gold particles as a dust fine um, um, aerosol into their atmosphere to bounce radiation back from, you know, from a star where they were close to, which was obviously causing some issues with ejectors. Now, what we find is that gold is great for that, believe it or not. It's actually right. it's, it, it will, you know, if we get ever get radiated by the sun, last time we did was I think during the, uh, the, t- the days of the Telegraph. And, uh, oh, we yeah, lost- yeah, I did read about that. Yeah, the Telegraph went down. There was no communications for quite some time because there was this huge ejection incident from our sun. Now, if we were to have that nowadays, Forget <laughs> I dread <it>. to see <laughs> what after fall out of the sky. You couldn't go shopping because everything's electronic tools. You know, you couldn't fill up with fuel because that would be electronic. Your whole life just suddenly plummets without the capabilities of being able to protect ourselves, the higher ionosphere of Earth, with a particles that could bounce radiation back. And gold would do that very, very well, amongst other, other fine particles. So maybe it was something symbolistic that came from the Sumerian days, the importance of it, which led into Egyptian and the amount of gold surrounded by gold that they had. Right. Uh, I could I could subscribe to that. I'll tell you why. Um, the very XLR. So I think gold is good for conductivity and using for for technology. And I'll tell you why. The, the very cables that are connected to my microphone right now are gold. Oh, yes. are, they're, they're 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 gold. They have gold yeah. surrounding the wires to prevent interference from other radio waves, uh, altering the, the 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 quality of my audio. Right. Mm. Uh, we're using gold on the James Webb telescope uh, for reflective purposes, and it can survive better in the radiation of space. 
So yeah. I, the Sumerians yeah. like they were onto something there. It's just, unfortunately, humanity took gold and made it va- more valuable than what really it is. Because gold and diamonds, diamonds have been proven to cut well. They can be used as tools. We use them today as tools. Gold conductive yeah. can be used in technology, circuit boards. But we've put gold on a weird pedestal where we control yeah. people with it. You know? <laughs> we really yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you say, you know, things for conductivity, things for tools like diamonds, you know, it's we don't need to wear them on the ring on your finger, you know. Yeah, like they uh, make diamonds like there's a, a rare thing. They're, they're they're plentiful. We could actually make them now. <laughs> you know, it's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I actually read that you can actually have carbon from you know, from a, I think there was a couple of people who had their their pet dog. Yes, uh, <laughs> 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 made into a diamond ring. That's true, and it's re- and check it out. It's cheap. <laughs> it's crazy, yeah, right? It's, it's crazy, absolutely, it's crazy. You know, but I think symbolism was was big in the in the old in the ancient days. It seems to be oh, for certain. a common thing. It was a common trait. Gold was a common trait throughout all ancient civilizations, uh, even the Mayans and the Incas and the Aztecs. You know, um, it was a fundamental thing of of, of symbolistic association with the deities with the gods right because it was beautiful um, to look at yeah. yeah yeah so i think that's really what they've done is they've taken it and you know and like they do abused it and made it into something that wasn't necessary of course it's a, it's, a, it's like the, it's the same theory of religion and, and finance and politics it's a control factor and we sub- and why do we allow for it well because we don't want to deal with the problems that are associated with it at the top level so we just let mm. it happen it's crazy before we yeah. close out, Steve, I'm going to ask you a question, and we're going to talk in post, by the way. Before we close out, who discovers the truth to uh, the paranormal and ufology first? Is it humans or is it going to be AI? Oh, that's a good question. The truth to it. The, well, maybe AI have already has, and maybe that we have to catch up with AI to determine that AI is correct. And that's the problem with AI, you know, it, it will tell you a conclusion uh, and it will try and tell the reasons why it's reached those conclusions. But like anything, it is verification. And that verification has to come from us and not another piece of AI. So um, for us to have that verification, we have the problems that we will we have in, as human beings is to um, we all perceive differently. We all act differently under, under experiencing phenomena. Um, we all might come up with different conclusions of what it mean, what it might mean. I think we have to advance ourselves. I think quantum mechanics and consciousness is the is the way forward. Um, though that I do like to try and stay away from transhumanism because I think that's going to create more problems than than than, than what we what we can imagine. Uh, and I think we would once. I think AI may have delivered the answer. I think we've got to catch up and verify it. And that's where the problem was, is those verifying it. Agreed, because you know what scared me? Uh, there's a story. And, and the reason I bring this up, because our next episode together, we're going to we're gonna focus on, on AI and the paranormal and the connections there, because I'll share yeah. some studies with you. Creep me out. And I always like hearing what you come up with, because you go to think tanks, and every time I speak to you, I, I end up restless that night thinking. You know what I mean? So, well, I'm just, yeah, I mean, I just you talk about think tanks. I was at the... Um, the Scientific Coalition of UIP Studies at their um, at their uh, conference over the last few days, and what was interesting is a, a new section that was called uh, um, a chem- a chemical analysis of UAP. 
because they've got certain types of equipment now that can analyze an object in the sky for chemical analysis. And what they do is they break it down and it comes out with different information coming back. However, some of the information coming back suggested on more than one occasion that the chemical analysis revealed that some of these objects were in fact alive, living organisms, living devices. Uh, and that's, it was, I can't remember the name of the, it was something like bioda or something like that was the, the reference they made to it, but it's, it's a relatively new subject um, in regards to some UAP, not actually a physical craft, but are actually some type of living organisms in our atmosphere. So it sounds to me like, type or not. Yeah. it sounds like AI is going to win the search. Yes, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. So here, so here's what we're going to do then. What we just covered, what we just spoke about, our next episode together, it's going to be um, AIs and the paranormal, and then that chemical, uh, that study in itself. I'd be interested to learn more about that. Yeah, me too, because that's the first time. I mean, I've heard references before that people think that some of these plants were living, but to have a chemical analysis come back to confirm that the evidence looks is showing that it is got the chemical analysis of a living system is uh, intriguing because there are some really strange things up there in the sky and when you actually look at them some of them look like jellyfish giant jellyfish things and some of them are balls of light you know and we always assume oh maybe it's a structured craft emitting an auric field around them but we've got video footage now of, of in from um, from afghanistan a military base in afghanistan where they fired a missile at two of those things and and it actually impacted with two of those things. It blew it apart, both of them, and then they just reformed back together and carried on. Jesus. Just, Steve. We got the video footage. You did it to me again. I'm down another rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's, man. It's like different things up there, you know. Uh, maybe that, you know, there's more than just, you know, the UAP up there. Maybe we'll have a new terminology for some of these things. When we I start. think so, man. I mean, Robert Spearing was on the show from MUFON. Uh, he's the he he's the, the head of MUFON for, like, Europe, right? And yeah. that very entity you're talking about, he had spoken about with me. So the yes. very, so it's it's pretty wide. Yes, it man. is. It is, yeah. The, the, the problem is there's so many different things in the sky. We They're all under the banner of UAP. Or that, UFO, or right. Hollywood. But I think when we come to realize we're going to be able to split these and say, well, no, this could be a living organism of some sort that's entered into Earth's atmosphere. This could be some type of intelligent plasma, uh, which, which, I mean, yeah. When you talk about intelligence, it's an energy. Even us, like we, I think people make the mistake of saying, well, they have a brain. That's why they're intelligent. It's the energy in the brain, not the brain. It's, the brain is the tool, the energy yeah. is what's with the information. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah I, mean, I, 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 I got to tell you, man, you, you did it to me again. <laughs> Steve, I well, had a great, know, I had a great well, conversation. I, We're going to talk in post, right? Because I got to bring some, some yeah. topics up to you. So uh, I'm going to say good day, good evening, good night to whoever is listening or wherever you are. And um, Steve, say the same, and we're, we'll, we'll do it again. Thanks very much, Adam. Look, look you going to it.